everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey. And winter is a perfect time to plan new gardens and projects. So we have four gardeners who have volunteered to tell us all about their plans for 2014. And we will check in with them over the next couple of months to see how they're doing. And this morning, our first guest is Madeline Jones, who is better known by the name Gardening Jones. Good morning, Madeline. Good morning, Kate, and Happy New Year. And the same to you. Um, So you're in Pennsylvania. Um, Which part of Pennsylvania are you in, and what type of a garden do you have? We're in the northeastern part of Pennsylvania, not far from the New York and New Jersey borders. And uh, we're primarily centered on edibles. My husband is a cook, and I'm the gardener, so it works very well for us to grow food. Oh, wonderful. And how long have you been growing edibles? We actually started about 30 years ago. My um, oldest child was uh, had mild hyperactivity, mild hypertension. Um, he was mildly hyperactive. And we found that by growing our own food and changing his diet to a more natural diet, that all of his symptoms left. And once we tasted that homegrown food, we were hooked. Oh, I can well believe that um, because I think when when you go out into the garden and taste that first tomato or strawberry or even peas that you can either shuck outside or or just eat in the pod, they're sort of 30 seconds fresh and they taste just like so much better than anything you can get in a straw. That's for sure. Yes. Okay. So when you've been gardening, obviously you found – Shall we say a few issues along the way that you solved, and now you've you've created um, a system that is going to be on the market this year um, to help gardeners. But tell me, how did that first start, and what type of garden is it aimed to, uh, or gardener is it aimed to help? Oh, okay. It's well. Uh, it actually started because we've been dealing with you know squirrels and deer and bugs and cats and rabbits and groundhogs. And the list goes on. <laughs> Um, not to mention weeds, and uh, where we are here um, in Zone 6, our growing season is only about 12 weeks old, so there's not a whole lot of room for error or to start over. Um, And so we have a big yard, and we were able to deal with it. Sometimes it seems like the garden is more of a battleground than a playground that it should be. But what happened was a few years ago, um, our two older children uh, each got married about a year apart and tried to garden in a suburban setting. And with a small backyard and feral cats and all the other issues that, that we deal with here, um, it was pretty much impossible for them. I know some of their friends have, had actually said that they just gave up gardening altogether, that, that growing food wasn't worth all the effort and time and sweat just to have a deer come and um, eat a doll down to the ground. So I thought there must be a way that they and other people that live in suburban settings can do the kinds of things that we with larger gardens can do with like row covers and season extenders, um, protection from the larger critters, and even protection uh, from the smaller bugs when you don't need pollinators. So my husband and I um, actually designed a system. It's a raised bed system, which is four by four foot um, raised bed, which is that's um, pretty easy to find on the market. But what makes it different is there's four posts that come up um, on each corner, making the system about five foot high. And to those posts, you can add screens, 
um, that let the pollinators in but keep the squirrels out, or you can add screens that keep the leaf eaters out for your vegetables that don't need pollinators, a, a higher mesh screen. And you can even add um, plastic screens that will extend your season. So you can get your tomato three to four weeks earlier and go three to four weeks longer than you otherwise would be able to. So it gives a small urban gardener, and even gardeners like myself, I for my real special tomatoes, they go in those beds. They go where I know the squirrel are not going to be able to get at them. Uh, but it gives the small home gardener the opportunity to sort of play like the big boys, you know, to do it all in one spot and to not be given throwing their hands up in the air and saying it's not worth it. So, so when you've got this um, structure on top of the garden, do you have to kind of, is it almost like a, a screen door that you have to open or does the whole thing um, rotate off um, or hinge up? Or Because five foot is quite a, a good depth on a, um, shall, shall we say, a, a construction. It is, well, um, each panel is not five feet high. Uh, once you get, the raised bed is solid, so the panels come up after the raised bed, so they're only about three and a half feet by, or maybe they're four by four. I would have to get out with my measuring tape. Um, but they're very actually easy to remove, and with four sides, you're never going to need to take off more than one. So you might be growing cucumbers or peas up uh, opposite ends, and then you take off the, the panel in between to do your harvesting and just stick it right back on. And they go on so easy and off so easy. And that was part of the whole design was to make this very user-friendly, very easy to, to assemble, to not take a lot of your time. It, it actually, um, there's so much less time involved because there's less weeding involved as well. So it really makes gardening easy to do because Chances are, if you're in the suburbs, you probably also have a, um, a lot of things going on in your life. Not like the you know lazy country days out here that we have, <laughs> but you've got a lot of coming and going. So you don't need to be spending a lot of time on your garden if, if you don't need to be. But how did you maybe go from, okay, I know that this um, works for me on my bed, you know, whether you were using the bendable um, hose or, or whatever, to thinking, well, there's got to be a better way for these kids to be able to do it. And then from there, well, why don't we go into production to, to make this available for every gardener around the country? Well, it actually, my, um, I was inspired by a, a strawberry bed that my son and his wife built. And it was very low to the ground, and it just had a lid on it that let the bees in and out, but the squirrels couldn't get at their strawberries. So that was part of the inspiration, except it had to do a lot more than, than just, you know, a, a cover crop. It had to be able to go up as high as a tomato plant or a small corn plant. So we, we you know, it was kind of just for fun. My husband and I built 10 of these. They're, they're modular. They hook one hooks into the other. So we had two rows of five in the front yard. And I just wanted to see if it would even work. And the idea was if it works, then we'll just go and we'll build them for the kids and they can have something to, to garden in. But it worked so much better than we even expected. Um, it had benefits to be in a smaller area, so the soil warmed up even faster than it did in, in when we use um, extenders in our larger garden. Uh, it kept out more of the critters than, that we expected. There wasn't one single bite out of one single tomato. I think it increased our harvest. We probably doubled it between the season extenders and the fact that you're not losing anything to nature. You're going to get so much more food out of such a small amount of space. 
And I was telling a friend of mine, and she said, it's not fair that only your kids get it. It should be available to other people, too. So we looked into um, marketing it. There's a lot of plastic manufacturers here in the Northeast, in Pennsylvania and Ohio, um, because keeping it in America was very important to us. And it sort of just one thing led to another. Uh, Penn State Extension Office got their hands on it, and Penn State University engineering students helped us redesign it so it could be made out of plastic rather than the wood that we did for our prototype. Um, and now we have a prototype sitting on our front porch that we're going to be giving to one of the local um, service organizations this spring that uh, does the food banks in the area so that they can give out fresh tomatoes to anyone that's receiving food from the food banks. It's just everything kind of snowballed in, in a very short period of time. It's exciting, um, and it's, it's, it's a little stressful, I'll admit, and it's a lot of fun, though. And the idea that anybody could be able to grow food for me is like a dream come true. So, so and this works on a, a traditional four by four bed. If you wanted um, a four by eight or four by twelve, do you just hook these together as independent um, units? Right. You just uh, would purchase three more sides and hook it right to one of the, the sides that you already have up. And I mean, you could go. We don't recommend you really go more than four in a row, four or five tops, just for stability. But you can also go out like in a T-shape and go out to the side, whatever you want to do, make an L, surround your backyard, um, as, as much as you really want to. We built as many as we did because we wanted to try out a lot of different things at the same time. Uh, we had two, two summers, one, one spring and two falls to uh, be able to try them out. Um, with all the different things going on and different ways of going about it. And we learned some things not to do as well as a lot of things that work well. But, yeah, you can add on as much as you want. And, and with each uh, unit, we're going to include, it's almost like you get me with the unit because we're writing a book that, or a how-to manual, that will tell everybody not only exactly how to assemble it and use it, but the best cultivars for this system, um, talk, we'll talk about intercropping and succession planting so that people can turn their gardens over and keep them going, um, replenishing the soil, of course, all the things that they need to know because we want them to be as successful as possible using the system. And have you, have you had uh, tried this out um, for sufficient years to know that um, may, maybe it will last for X number of years? Because I know traditionally things like the, the row covers and things like that, they do start to um, erode or, or corrode and, and maybe decompose over a couple of seasons I, and I end up having to get new ones. How does that work sort of maybe over a, a span of five years with your system? Oh, there, there would be very little degradation in this system at all. The plastic that's going to be used is specifically chosen to be have high weather resistance and be able to take the sun and, and even extreme heat temperatures. Um, everything that was part of, of what the engineering students did at Penn State University was to, to look at all of those aspects, um, weight bearing on the sides for how much soil it's going to hold, and really, we want it to be something that lasts, um, like, virtually forever, that, you know, will hold up as long as possible. And I would say five years, absolutely not. There wouldn't be an issue. I would go as far as to say it would be many more years than that. And and the, the other thing that, um, you know, I was thinking about, does it um, stand up to high winds and things like that, whether it be blizzard or summer and spring storms. You get tremendous winds and things like that. Will it stay in one place? 
Oh, absolutely. And we get we can get up to three feet of snow here, and I'm sure you are uh, have seen that happen as well, especially in the, the spring when uh, towards the end of winter. Those times you wouldn't be using it, so pretty much you would have the panels would be put away, and the system itself would just be sitting there, and it can absolutely take high winds. Uh-huh. We've actually had one occasion when we were going to get a hailstorm. Um, when our tomatoes were in, and we put the plastic up and protected our tomatoes that way, where a lot of other people around us lost a number of their tomato plants or at least some of their fruit to hail. Oh, so wow. it actually is a, a weather protector in, in many cases. Oh, and that is so important because, it, as I say, it's, it's so depressing when you've gone through two-thirds of a season and you get a, a fall storm or summer storm in, and it just destroys everything. Um, but I, I think we need to take a, a quick commercial break. But thank you so much um, for, for creating a system like this. I think a lot of gardeners are going to enjoy it. And, and it's going to be on the market this year. Is that right? It'll be on the market in the spring, they can uh, watch for more information on gardeningjones.com and gardeningjones.com slash blog. We're going to keep everybody informed as to the progress and um, let them know when it's going to be available. There'll be a kickstart program, too, so that'll be oh, up there. That, that sounds great. Um, but everybody, you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies, and we'll be back in a few minutes with uh, Rebecca Sweet, who's going to talk about putting, refreshing her, her garden with new colour, textures and edibles. And we'll be back in just a moment. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on iTunes and also on Stitches. This morning, our show is all about projects for 2014. And now we're going to talk to Rebecca Sweet, who is planning on putting more texture and color into her garden. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Kate. Happy New Year. (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm doing very well. Um, 
Um, yes, and you're the author of Garden Up, Smart Vertical Gardening for Small Spaces, um, as well as Refresh Your Garden with Design, uh, Colour, Texture and Form. So from what I can gather, your project this year is to try and put, shall we say, some of what you had in the book into practice in your own garden. Is that right? That's exactly right. My project is to remove my front lawn, which um, is really serving no purpose except to uh, increase my water bill, and tie it in with the rest of my surrounding garden using color, texture, and form, which is what I write about in my latest book. And is this going to be um, the, the front of the property or at the back? This is the front. Oh, wonderful. Yes, so- and I know it's it's so, it, uh, such a popular thing where I live here in California now, 2013 was the driest um, year that we've had on record. It's such, it's such a terrible drought year that we've had, and I don't know what 2014 is holding for us. So uh, part of my design business is I am just asked to remove front lawns all the time because they just waste so much water and energy, and they're not really used for playing with little kids, you know, versus the back lawns. And I do that all the time, and I'm doing it for myself finally. I'm getting a chance to <laughs> take mine out and create a garden. And then I also am incorporating edibles into the front yard, which is is a, a really exciting thing to do. Yes. And, you know, and I, I think certainly, you know, when when people think about um, their, their landscape, um, you know, having different, um, particularly in California, where you don't uh, maybe have the, the, the frost and the winter and the snow, which those of, those of us up in the north do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what you can't rely on, on kind of the snow scenes quite as much, uh, maybe over there. No, we, well, I, I live in the Bay Area near San Francisco, and it's fairly temperate here. But I'll tell you, just, uh, just last month, we had about, 10 days that were below freezing temperatures consistently, 28, 27, 28, 29 degrees. But that is about as cold as it gets here, um, which is enough to kill, uh, you know, a lot of plants, yet we don't get that beautiful winter white snowy wonderland that kind of hides everything for a while. <laughs> like you get, I envy the snow lots of times. <laughs> Oh, it's 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 nice before Christmas, kind of Thanksgiving through January, and the occasional big storm is is fine. But I trust me, but by the time you get to February, I would yeah. take your temperatures any oh, day of the sure. week. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So yeah, the goal really is to, and especially because we have this kind of a year-round climate where a lot of plants are deciduous or you know dead, like the annuals are long gone. Um, we don't get that snow, so what's a gardener to do? Uh, look at just patches of brown, and lucky for us, we don't need to have that. There's a lot of plants we can have that look good year-round, um, even some herbs and cold-season crops, edibles, and so that is exactly what I'm going to be doing. So so you're talking a basically sunny area rather than a shady area. Would that yes, be right? I have I have half sun and half shade, so... It'll be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I'm not doing all edibles. I'm mixing it because uh, in my front garden, a lot of it is already planted. So I'm really trying to tie uh, about a 300-square-foot area in with the rest of the garden. It won't be all edibles. It'll be a mixture of both. 
And so it kind of uh, seamlessly transitions. Well, I, I certainly think, um, you know, ed- edibles, you know, they, they need pollinators, a lot of them, which, um, you know, I, th- I think having flowers and things and, and other textures in the garden just makes it kind of and it more, more of a visual interest. And I think when you've got a smaller property, that's yeah. important to be able to mix the two. Oh, it's critical. <laughs> and uh, our, a lot of our properties out here are smaller because it's so residential and, and so suburban. Uh, and so every square foot counts um, and needs to really perform uh, double-duty service in terms of visually looking good. I mean, you can't. It, it doesn't make sense to have a patch of area that doesn't look good or serve a purpose. Uh, whereas if we had an acre or two, you can get away with a lot more, you know, have a lot more leeway. So, so every every foot has to count here. Yeah. And do something visually, you know, or um, serve, a, serve a function as providing edibles. Yeah. So, so let's talk a few, um, a few specifics then. Um, what type of uh, maybe perennial um, options do you guys have over there, particularly maybe in um, the in- interesting um, may- maybe herbs and, and spices and that type of thing? Um, okay, so perennial, one of my favorite combinations, and I can't wait to incorporate in my front yard, is uh, the pineapple sage, which is probably an annual where it snows. But for us here, it goes dormant, but it comes back every year. Uh-huh. And I like the one that has the chartreuse foliage with the red, bright red flowers. And that's a real late bloomer for us. It starts blooming very, very end of summer into fall. And I would pair that with an ornamental. Um, one of my other favorites is called Dancing Flame Salvia, and it too has the chartreuse foliage and red flowers. Oh. So that's an example of, for example, in my garden I have three of the salvia dancing flames, and, and then yeah. a little farther away I will plan to plant the pineapple sage to tie in those same colors using an ornamental plant and then using an herb. And, uh, you know, and, and I think the sal- salvias particularly, I mean, that is such an enormous family, um, botanically, shall we say. Yeah. That, right. Yeah, and it has some wonderful, I, I'm very familiar with pineapple sage. Um, as you say, up in the north, it tends to, um, t- tends to be really on the cusp of whether you're going to be able to get it to flower before the, mm-hmm. the frost. Um, but I have found if you dig it up, um, it has a tendency, while well, it just as it's starting to flower, bring it inside. It adapts very well to inside. It's a little large, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the one with chartreuse foliage, I think it's a little smaller than the straight pineapple sage. I found that it really stays at about three by three, at least where I live here, where the other one can get pretty, pretty tall and rangy. Yeah, but uh, inside, yeah, it's a little large. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. Another, um, you know, what else I like to use a lot, and it's evergreen for us here, is rosemary. Oh yes, rosemary is definitely a year-round plant, and in fact, really comes into its own in the winter because it'll provide beautiful blue, dark blue, light blue, even white flowers in February when not a lot is happening in the garden. Oh wow. And so that's one that I really use when designing because it'll act like kind of an anchor if you use an upright variety like Tuscan Blue or it could be a cascading variety. Uh, so many out there. And there's even, a, there's even a nice smaller one that's been introduced the past few years <clears throat> called Barbecue that 
is just a really nice tidy. I think it stays about two and a half by two and a half. So it's a perfect one for a container or a smaller garden. So, so how do you keep um, a rosemary healthy? I mean, is it prunable? Do you find that you pr- have to prune it a little bit? I, well, I prune mine <laughs> depending on what I'm serving for dinner. That's my pruning method. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, if I throw, sometimes I'll be barbecuing and I'll want to really uh, perfume the area and whatever I'm cooking. So, I'll cut off some fairly large branches to put in the barbecue. Um, I don't worry about pruning it. It's uh, because where I live, it's just so happy. Um, I tend to just prune it as I need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's a great case, though, of planting the right variety for the right size. So Tuscan Blue gets quite large. I have one that is so old, and it's about five feet tall. Oh, wow. So instead of always pruning that to stay in a smaller space, get the barbecue variety, that one that stays much smaller. And then you don't have to worry about it. Uh-huh. And, and I would imagine that you could get nice annuals to go, go along alo- alongside the um, something like a rosemary, right? Oh, sure. And, uh, and, the, and the rosemaries will bloom off and on throughout the year, but they really have a heavy bloom in the late, late winter, early spring. So you might want to pick annuals that bloom along the same time. Uh, one of my other favorites is the barrage plant. Um, those star flowers that are bright blue look so pretty uh, with the rosemary when it still has its blooms on it. Oh, wow. That's a great example of um, really interesting textures. The leaves of that barrage, which are really kind of puckery and thick, uh, with the real needle-like leaves of the um, rosemary. And and what what about maybe some of the um, maybe some of the larger uh, thing, things like um, maybe artichokes and things like that? Do you do you attempt any of those in the garden or, or anticipate putting any in? You know, artichokes are really. Whenever somebody asks me to uh, include edibles in their landscape, I always reach for the artichoke, and that's exactly what I'll do for my own front garden uh, because. The form is so structurally powerful. It's very upright with those big, giant, you know, kind of deeply serrated, spiky leaves. It's got a beautiful form. And that's a perfect thing to start echoing throughout your garden. So, for example, here in California, formiums or flax, what they're commonly known as, are very, very common. I love them. They're evergreen. They're year-round, and they provide a really structurally upright form which is so perfectly duplicated by an artichoke nearby. Oh, yes. So I'm glad you brought up artichokes. They're great. And then the flowers of artichokes are so fantastic, uh, those big, giant, beautiful, purpley, blue flowers. And uh, I'll tell you, I never want my kids to, <laughs> I never want my kids to uh, eat the artichokes because they're so great. So I just kind of buy them at farmer's market and pretend I just harvested them. <laughs> they never know. <laughs> they're like, oh, these are great artichokes. Because they're just so beautiful on the plants. I love to let the fruit bolt and turn into that gorgeous flower. Oh, yes. That's my own secret, so don't tell my family. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I think when you have to dig up the bottom of some, something that is so magnificent, and so you can't really wait for the, the, the flower to die before you dig up the bottom? Well, the fruit of the artichoke, it's actually when the artichoke kind of goes to seed, you, 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 it turns into the flower, which is beautiful. Oh. But if you want to eat the artichokes, you kind of have to cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So it's like, hmm, I'll just tell my family I just harvested a beautiful load of artichokes and let them go to seed and turn into the flowers. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I think you know when when you've got beautiful flowers like that, you know, it, it's such a a shame sometimes to to miss them. But you know, no, Rebecca, but you know, we need to um, go go for our next commercial break. Um, but thank you so much um, for for sharing your project, and hopefully over the the next couple of months, we'll see exactly how far you've got transferring what you did in the book into your own garden. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. Okay, and everybody, we'll be back with another, uh, another project for 2014 and America's homegrown veggies. We'll be back in just a moment. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is Cheryl Linker, host of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Join us as we keep things fun and interesting as we educate you in the world of master gardening. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey. I'm the host of the show. And this morning we are doing a special on projects that gardeners around the country have in mind for spring 2014. And now we're turning to Jacqueline Soule from Tucson, Arizona. Good morning, Jacqueline. 
Good morning. Yes, and your project is going to be putting in um, a dry herb garden um, in a very dry climate. Um, and is it going to be a drought-tolerant herb garden? Is that correct? Yes, uh, very drought-tolerant. I'm focusing mostly on native herbs. And those would be the southwestern um, desert ones, is that correct? Yes, ones that have historically been used by the um, native peoples in the area. And I know that you wrote a book um, about Father Kino's herbs, and is that what this project and your herbs are going to be based on? Yes, yeah. I, I wrote the book, I guess I better, you know, walk the walk now, <laughs> after talking about it. Well, who exactly was Father Kino, and how did, uh, you know, he come come down to your area? Well, um, Father Kino uh, is sort of like Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King set in uh, the 1600s, <laughs> which, uh, which made him very popular around here. He he believed in um, no slavery and, and that everybody was human beings, no matter what their skin color or religious beliefs. So um, he, he is one of the two people featured in um, um, national um, statuary in Washington, D.C., one of the two people from Arizona, excuse me. Every, every state has two people that they honor, and, and Father Kino is one of them because he helped really found our state and um, make it a basis for a, um, an unusual place in the rest of the um, Southwest at the time. So, so these would be herbs that um, the rest of us don't know about, or, or would there be um, some that, that um, you know, are adaptable from may, maybe the rest of the country's own five, six, and seven down to you guys? Uh, some of them are known in the rest of the country. Um, one in particular that I'm kind of surprised I haven't grown yet is the sweet marigold. Um, known by so many different names. If you go to Florida, they call it winter tarragon. If you go to Texas, they call it Texas tarragon. And it's actually a, a truly a marigold. Um, I, and um, it grows really well as an annual even. I've grown it successfully in Vermont all summer long. And it's just totally delightful. Tastes like tarragon, but then it flowers continuously all summer long in the cooler climates um, attracting pollinators to the garden. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I know that I've grown that um, just occasionally, um, particularly when um, the true French tar tarragon, you know, when we were in Atlanta, that one struggled just a little bit. Um, and I, and I think the, um, you know, the Mexican ta tarragon is um, a great substitute. But what, usually when something puts out flowers, the, um, the leaves tend to, you know, kind of lose a little of the flavor. Um, does that happen with, um, with that one? Yes, it does. It, as a matter of fact, it, any herb that you're going to use, it's better to use it um, 
before it flowers, ultimately when it's just in bud, is is ideal. But um, that said, the sweet marigold, winter tarragon, Tajidis lucida, we want to use the scientific name, is um, I, I find it actually very good to make an herbal vinegar with when it's in flower. Ooh. And does yeah. that does that turn it kind of a the vinegar a kind of a yellowy color? It does. It makes it more golden, but it you still get that tarragon flavor infused into the vinegar, and then it's just delightful to give somebody a bottle of vinegar with oh wow. flowers, you know. Yeah, and that 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 would go so well with the um, the chive blossom one that I do that uh, turns everything a pretty pink color. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see a match set here. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I, th- I think the um, the burgundy burgundy basils. Sorry, um, they, yeah, they, those give a beautiful yeah. pinky color too. So between the three of them, that would look wonderful, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, what a great idea! <laughs> <laughs> well, and now I do have to say the the other plant that I really want to get in the ground as soon as possible is an elderberry. Oh. We have a local Mexican elderberry that is a subspecies of the elderberry found in the rest of the country. Oh. And it, it's a little more drought tolerant. It has smaller leaves that are kind of fuzzy, but it still, you know, it can be used for everything you, you use elderberry for. Oh, Wow. Um, yeah. Because I, I think elderberry wine and things like that are are great, great to to drink. Um, is that what you intend doing with it, or are you going to may, maybe do elderberry fritters or something? Oh, all of the above. That's the problem. I love elderberry fritters, and then you can make the flowers into elderberry champagne. But if you harvest too many of the flowers, then you don't have that delightful <laughs> fruit to make elderberry wine out of or jam or syrup so so you're, you're down in almost into the mexico line down down in tucson um so what type of um i, I guess you're, you're almost frost free down there so do you are you able to garden um, pretty much year round down there well we can garden year round but last night we froze oh wow we we have uh, usually 300 to 400 chill hours a year in Tucson because Tucson is a middle desert elevation. So it, we, can, we can garden year-round, but we have to really kind of be careful what we plant. Um, two years ago, we had a, a vicious fr- freeze that killed almost everybody's citrus throughout the town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no matter how much you covered in everything, you know, the citrus doesn't like it when it's 12 degrees. Yeah. And and so I I would think that, uh, you know, I, I would have thought you guys would have been pretty much frost-free. So when does your year then um, for planting the herbs and things like that, when does that start? Well, it. It depends on the herb. I'm actually, you know, I could look out my window right now and see my cold season uh, vegetable garden and and just doing wonderfully. But by March, every, you know, all the lettuce and and beets and everything will just be so hit by the heat, they'll die. So (laughs) 
<laughs> it's really a very challenging place to garden. And and that's one of the reason one of the things of putting in an herb garden is sometimes uh it's not well known how to grow them. Uh-huh. Uh here in this area, you know. Uh and that's one other reason for growing native plants. There's basically pre-adapted to the area they're going to bring in native pollinators so so the native you know butterflies and and hummingbirds and things will all be visiting them and yeah and hopefully uh once they're established they will survive without me putting too much water on them. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, and I, I think, um, you know I, know, I noticed that there were some in there that, that I wouldn't have quite expected, like um, common garden sage. Um, that obviously loses a lot of leaves up, up in the north through the winter, depending on how, how long it's buried under snow. So, But that obviously doesn't need too much of a cold spell then when if you can grow it successfully down there. Well, the problem with sage is not the winter, it's the summer. Um, I've found that to to grow sage here, you have to tuck the garden sage from from, um, Europe. You have to sort of tuck it on the north side of the building where it's in in mostly shade in the summer. Because it just gets, you know, 100 degrees for 100 days is is just a little too stressful for a lot of plants. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and I, I would think with, um, you know, a, a lot of them, because they, they were Mediterranean, that, you know, may, maybe a lot of them would have been more uh, like rosemary, for instance. I would imagine that does really well down there. That does. Yeah, rosemary and, and uh, its cousin germander do really well here but for example mint it just is it needs too much water and it's not happy at all in our garden. <laughs> and I know, I know when we went down to Atlanta, one of the things I struggled with, which really surprised me, was mint. Um, because that, that I used to have in full sun in the north. Down there, you need to give it an awful lot more water and keep it pretty much in the shade. Um, are you able to grow mint successfully where you are? Um, I actually have it in my water garden. So that the bottom one inch of the pot is in water all the time. Oh, wow. That's the only way I've really been able to grow it successfully. Yeah. And and there are so many people that think you can't kill mint, but I guess... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I killed a lot of mint until I figured out how to grow it. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I think, uh, you know, different areas obviously have diff- different uh, climates uh, and different amount of water. Um, and I say, I know, know that mint particularly, um, I mean, I love mint. Um, so I think that's, that's great for a middle, middle of the country, but it obviously, obviously doesn't do so well down in the south. Um, are there other, any others that you don't... Uh, that you're not able to grow unless you really adapt them a lot, like in a container or something like that? Well, um, I actually had a little bit of problem growing thyme. Oh. Um, it, it, again, even though it's Mediterranean, it doesn't really take the heat very well. The, the, and, and you read the little plant labels and it says, oh, plant this in full sun. Well, it's, 
it's another one that likes is does best if it's planted on the north side of a of a bu- uh, building for the summer. Hmm. So, so that one doesn't do too well for you, regardless of where you put it. Then, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, so so your plants then basically are, um, the ones that you're you're going to try and specialize in are going to be the low water variety. Is that right? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Um, Well, you know, we need to go for um, another commercial break here, Jacqueline. Um, But, you know, everybody, we'll be back with another project um, for the last segment. Um, So we will be right back. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking to gardeners doing special projects in 2014. And then we're going to call back um, over the season to see how they're doing with their projects. And our final guest this morning is Brenda Haas from just south of Toledo, Ohio. And she's the host of the popular Garden Chat on Twitter every Monday evening. Good morning, Brenda. Morning, Kate. How are you? I'm doing very well. And we used to be neighbors, kind of in the Midwest. It's a long way from part to part. But... I know, and we miss you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I know you have a wonderful greenhouse. And is that kind of part of your new project ideas? Or what kind of project are you doing this year? Well, you know, I'm always experimenting with different ideas and different ways of growing um, in my greenhouse and out in the raised beds. And um, this year, I'm really excited to focus uh, even more heavier on getting the kids in the garden and, um, you know, the seeds starting and food, food, all about food and starting those kiddos early, learning about it. Oh, that is a great idea. And are your kids in the elementary school age, or are they a little older where they can help? Well, um, fortunately, my kids are teenagers, (laughs) 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 but that's okay. Um, You know, I've always been really active with children, even before I had kids of my own. Um, And I, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, my mentality, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of a kid myself, right? So, um, you know, I'm using my experience uh, and all these years I've had working with children um, and then raising my own two kids and now um, helping out with my little niece, who's two. Um, it, it's just been a great experience in being able to share with other mothers 
and caregivers, um, all the neat things that you can do with kids in the garden. Well, I, I certainly think with the, the, the young ones, the preschoolers, mm-hmm. I mean, that is such a, a magical age, yes. and they just love to, to get out and help. <laughs> it, is, it is. I'm having a great time even. Um, so my, you know, my niece, she is two and a half, and so we've had her out here in our garden here in Ohio since, boy, since she was pretty much born, right? And um, it's really been fun being able to document and share on social media um, her reaction to nature and the garden. And I've really found it to be an asset to other mothers. I get many emails, lots of tweets and Google comments on, oh, my gosh, that is such a great idea. I never thought of that. So... I think, you know, I'm, well, I know, I'm focusing um, once again this year on just basic growing techniques that you can do with kids. Um, Anybody can grow, right? Yeah, well, give us an example then of, you know, the type of things that you would do maybe with the the youngest one and then maybe with teenagers. (laughs) Oh, sure, sure. Well, so... We have a fun. We we like to we like to give back to the earth, right? And you know, part of that is um, you know just just paying attention to what we can recycle and what we have in the home and what we have out in nature, out in the yard, and whatnot. And um, it's it's you know it's there's fun little just daily living practices that you can incorporate into talking to the little ones, even when they're you know just starting, <laughs> just learning to talk, right? So. Well, let's see. I, a really fun thing that I'm, I'm excited to be able to let my little helper do more this year is actually putting together her own little seed starting. Um, so we, I guess I need to explain why, why what's so complicated about putting this together. It's really not. The, the complication is um, me and my little helper have a little battle going on with um, this is going to sound funny, but recycled toilet paper rolls. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's been a part of our potty training adventure, you know, just the whole getting to the end of the roll, right? Because, you know, everybody uses toilet paper. So we get to the we get to the end, and she's doing a great job potty training. I'm so happy for her. Um, she's, she's two years old and completely potty trained, and... I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fun little games. Like we, she likes to take the paper towel or the paper roll, and she calls it a aha. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Lily, what is a aha? And she will take the little roll up to her mouth, and she will play with this forever. You know, it's the clean, empty toilet paper roll, and it's her little horn. And she goes, aha, aha, aha. Then she plays music with it. So I started showing her my little bag that I have out in the sunroom where I collect all the toilet paper rolls to start seeds in them. And she just thought that was the coolest thing. And now we, you know, we have to take time to make music with it. And then we're, we take the rolls. And, and now last year she had to watch me do it because, you know, you do have to help them with this. Um, we'll take a tray or an old recycled, um, those uh, plastic meat containers that you get from the butcher are perfect for this to recycle. And you sit the clean tray down and you basically scan the toilet paper roll straight up and then fill it with your, you know, your favorite seed starting soil 
and just drop the seed in there. And so last year she was only, you know, just, just going on two. So I had to help quite a bit. But just to watch her eyes light up as those seeds start popping out of the ahas. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what a lovely idea. <laughs> it's just a simple old, you know, recycling idea. And, you know, I think the key with getting the kids involved and, 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 it, and just stressing so much on how it's important that they know where their food is coming from is talking to them, you know, just share. Like the seed grows, and, and I tell you, we're, we're already, she, she gets her mud boots out, and she's ready to get out in that veggie garden because she loves those tomatoes that we grow, <laughs> and, and that's a wonderful thing, and that's something, no matter where she goes in life, that's always going to be with her. And, and, you know, and so, certainly, you know, when, when you've got um, little ones around, I mean, there's that magic um, yeah. in, in pretty much everything. But one of the things that they are really renowned for, and teenagers have this in common, mm-hmm. is the attention span of a gnat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good analogy. <laughs> So, so you have to do, am I right that you have to do projects that start and finish within maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes? Oh, definitely. Well, you know, this little, the little toilet paper roll seed starting idea is something that you can't do and you don't have to do all in one sitting. You know, it's, it's going to take time to collect your, your recycled products and, and talk about it, what we're doing with this, and then go off and do something else. You're right. You don't want to, don't torture them and make them <laughs> sit through, you know, the long lesson and, and just make it fun and real, right? Yes. And so, so how do you get, um, plan on getting your teenagers involved because I, I recall from my, my teenagers, the young, my youngest is now 18. So, you know, we're almost past that, but they, they tend to be on the computer, the smartphone, the video game, whatever, um, rather than outside. I mean, did I miss the boat on this somehow? Or, or did... Oh, no, no. My kids are still tech geeks, of course. That's going to happen in today's, um, you know, the way the world is now. But, um, you know, my kids, like I started, like, like I said, we started early. Um, you know, uh, when they were small, when my teenagers were small, we actually lived in the city. So we had to go out, you know, to go get into nature and be able to get out on the farm and and just just being in that atmosphere I think is important even if you don't grow you know go out and visit a farm go out go for a walk in the woods you know it it just and pay attention to the berries that are growing and things like that so you know with my kids um you know I think just being brought up with that simple principle of recognizing nature and growing um they've they've it's a part, it's a very big part of their life. Um, my daughter now, you know, she's graduated and she is an uh, artist, a stylist. She lives in the city. and But yet, you know, we still talk about she can't wait to come out and, you know, pick out. It was, she already has a list of, of different zinnias that she wants to grow this year out in my yard. And, and she asks questions even, you know, and she's experimenting with what she can grow for, you know, she has a pet, iguana. And, you know, it's really expensive to buy seeds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know it's crazy. She's an artist. You know, it's, it's expensive to buy certain Swiss chard and, uh, you know, especially organic products. And, you know, I, it, she's really into, you know, how simple it is. You can grow in just these little portable oh. plastic greenhouses, you know. Oh, that is Sorry. wonderful. 
wonderful. Definitely. Yeah. And my and son, you know, he he's very into technology and whatnot, and you know, he he know he 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 loves to help me if I need help in the garden. But um, his big thing is fruits and trees. You know, he's more into trees and things. So, oh, well, that's, that's you know. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, Brenda, we're right at the, the end of mm-hmm. um, this uh, segment. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's really important, I think, to get mm-hmm. kids enthusiastic with the garden. Oh, so it'll be lovely to check in with you to see how your little helper is getting Definitely. on. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're right at the end of the, the okay. show. Um, but thank you for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, everyone. Uh, thank you, Bren. It's been a great chat and good luck with your project, particularly with the, the older ones. Um, but we will be returning to all these people um, over the season to see how they get on with their projects. And next week we've got a program, another program all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone. And join me back here next Saturday.